0: Doubt by the time we got to chapter 3, verse 16, you knew we were in familiar ground. It's one of the most cited scripture verses in the entire Bible. John 3, 16. And whether you know it verse by verse or whether you know it perfectly, at least you get the gist, right? God so loved the world that God sent Jesus so that whoever would believe in him could have eternal life. Summation of the gospel in one really good verse. And Christians have been using it. We put it on top of all kinds of beautiful cards and gifts. I've seen it. I actually have one on a cross. All kinds of different ways that we mark the world with John 3.16. And as prolific as it has been across the denominations, the church universal is very much a fan of John 3.16. You'd think we'd keep reading a little more and get familiar with John 3.17. So often the churches, no matter how fundamentalist or progressive they are, stop right at that period at the end of 16. And we seem to miss the next part, which is just as important. That Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Jesus has every right to condemn us. Jesus knows exactly who we are and what we do. Jesus even knows the things that we think and feel and don't manifest. And that's enough to condemn us. And yet, in spite of all of that, he didn't come to condemn the world. Instead, as the church, we have focused on condemnation. Across centuries, multiple denominations have focused on their right to condemn certain things in the world. How ironic that we take this when Jesus did not. This is not something that I believe he's calling us to do. Instead, if we focus on the beginning of John three sixteen, I think we'll understand why Jesus didn't come to condemn. Because we always want to know why. When I talk to people of other faiths or no faith, they always can't figure out Jesus. Sounds like a really good guy, great philosopher, great teacher. Many things have been said that are very flattering about Jesus, but why? Why would God do this? Why would God humble God's self to come down and be one of us? We're frail, we're fragile, we're mortal, we're sinful. Why would you want to do this? If you live long enough in one of these bodies, it aches. It gets sick. It hurts. It has bad dreams, restless nights. Why would you want to do this? Why would God Almighty want to be us? Because John 3, 16 tells us, god so loved god's love is the catalyst the impetus it is the reason that god does everything a love so profound so vast and unfathomable that it is the very reason that you and i can receive grace god doesn't owe us anything god didn't owe us forgiveness half the time we're not even sorry Right? We can sit around and justify ourselves all day. Instead, God said, I love you so much. My love for you is such a blessing that I will forgive you. Anything, everything. It is yours. My grace is yours. And it's not a one time thing. You can't run out. It's not that we hit a point where God says, No, I've had enough of this. Be gone. God never does that. Instead, over and over again we get grace. It's not just grace sufficient, it is grace abundant, and it is ours. So what are we gonna do with it? What do you do with grace like that? All right, well, hopefully, we're trying to live out that grace in a way that is powerful and profound and transformative. Hopefully, we're trying to be something better than we were yesterday. Of course, yesterday might have been a really good day for you, right? We have these days where we think, you know what? I'm starting to get a hang of this. Starting to feel kind of good about this. Actually read a little Bible, did a little prayer, more than just the one over the food, right? Feel like I'm starting to do something good. Went on a little bit of mission work, did a little selfless things, feeling pretty good. And we think that we're on our way. Hopefully we are. But then you have days that are so bad, you probably should never have gotten out of bed. And I've tried telling God that. I told you I didn't want to get out of bed. And God doesn't care. God didn't give me grace to stay in bed. God gave me grace to do something as incredible with it as God did. We have this grace to be the body of Christ. And if we're not willing to do it, then what are we doing? What are we trying to accomplish? Right? Why would we bother with all of this? The decor, the building, the professions of faith, the sacraments, the baptizing. Why? Why do this? Oftentimes, I think about the ways in which we can show people how the world might look. We have these opportunities to show them something different and something new. And it involves us loving people. Loving people in a way that is transformative. And sometimes you think to yourself, all right, I love you, and I don't think this is going to work, right? I'm going to give this like two minutes, and then you're going to make me even angrier than I already am, and I'm just going to tap out. Instead, we have to be willing to go all in. Are we all in on loving someone? I used to have a job before I went into ministry in northern Virginia where I was in an office in a historical building. This very colonial, historical building, and there were other offices in there, but mine was the first accessible one. And so there was a woman, an elderly woman, who was a neighbor to this building, and she would come in regularly to complain about the landscaping. I got time for that. So she would come in and complain about the landscaping. Now, I don't know if you know me, but I don't care about landscaping. We can pull up every ounce of grass and put down lava rock and I'm a happy girl. I really don't care. I know she, I'm not even looking at her. (laughs) And she's like, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) But that's okay, because you have people like Judy who love landscaping, and then I don't have to do it, right? And so this woman would come to see me, and she would complain about the landscaping, and I'm like, lady, you got the wrong girl. You got the wrong girl. And it was so annoying. I would see her coming, and I would just be like, oh, forget it. And so she would come into the office and she would complain, and it escalated. I mean, every week this woman would come into the office and complain about the landscaping. I got bigger fish to fry up here. And so she would come in, and I would see her, and I could just feel it. Oh, here we go. And so one day, you know, I've been raised in the church all my life, sometimes something sticks. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to love this woman. I don't like her, but I'm going to love her. I'm going to love this woman. And so I thought, I'm going to try something new because clearly my disinterest and disdain is not working. So I will try something else. And so she came in, and I said hello, and I asked her how she was, and I asked her if she wanted some coffee, and she said she did. So I made it the way she wanted it, and I invited her to come sit down behind the desk. And we started having a conversation of, tell me, why, where you live, and tell me about why the landscaping is so important to you, and what is the deal? You know, give me the backstory here. And all of a sudden, my problem became a person. All of a sudden, I found out that she actually had a backstory. That her husband had been one of the people in charge of landscaping in Colonial Williamsburg. Her husband, who had died five years ago. And so for her to sit there in her house and look out and see something that was clearly not right, and I've lived in Colonial Williamsburg twice, I know it wasn't right, but she saw it and knew that it shouldn't be that way, and she knew that if her husband were alive that he would fix it, that he would have fixed it. And so she felt like this was her job, she needed to get it fixed, because he would have fixed it. Made it a little harder to sit there and be like, I cannot stand you. So I said, okay, um, I don't know that I can do anything about this. I am happy to talk to the groundskeepers and see if anything can be done. Um, They're probably going to have questions, so can you come back next week, and I can figure out what's going on. And I said, do you have any ideas of what this should look like? And of course she did. (laughs) She had ideas. And so she left, and she said, thank you. And I had a conversation, and we tried to work out some things. And over time, our relationship suddenly became more about two people rather than a problem and someone to just do things. All of a sudden, our relationship was transforming things. And I started to see her, and I didn't cringe so much when she came. And In fact, throughout the time that I was working in that job, I saw her regularly, and while they never quite did get the landscaping like she wanted it, we came to an agreement, none of which I cared about, I'm going to be honest with you. It just wasn't the point. But what did happen for me was that I had this encounter with her, and it kept happening. I kept having this encounter with her, and eventually we became rather friendly. In fact, when I graduated from Northern Virginia Community College, she gave me a gift, And I'd love to tell you that I know all about her or that she's over here in this church right now listening to me tell this story, but I honestly have no idea where she is and what she's doing. Because right after I graduated, I moved to Williamsburg to attend William and Mary. And I never went back. I don't know. I don't know where she is. But I do know that the same God who has been walking with me all of this time is with her. And whether she's living Or she's passed away. God is with her. And so God continues to be this connection. And she is a reminder to me that I have the opportunity. I have the choice. I am empowered to decide whether I'm dealing with a problem or a person. We have a choice. And I can tell you from my own bungling and past experience that problems are a lot more painful than persons. And that Jesus didn't come here to label us as problems. Jesus didn't come here to condemn us as hopeless problems. Instead, Jesus came to give us hope that our personhood is so valuable that God would love us in spite of everything we have done. And we have done some horrific, atrocious things. As a species, we have taken the gifts that God has given us. Free will, free choice, stewardship over creation, a rational mind, the ability to create, to embody, to manifest our will. We have taken this and we have created wars, genocides, violence, spread sickness and disease, proliferated hate, because that's what sin does. And God so loves us that God is not willing to wipe the slate clean. Instead, God says, I'm going to purify. I'm going to cleanse. I'm going to cleanse their hearts instead of sweeping them off the table. I'm going to make something new in here so that they can make something new out there. We are God's presence in many ways. God certainly is present in this world without us. We are not the only means by which someone can encounter God. But for reasons far beyond my understanding, God has decided to use Christians to change this world. And that means us. We are the way by which Jesus is changing this world 2,000 years after his birth. And it starts when we decide to start loving God started all of this with love. We were loved into creation. And if I had been reading my Bible as much back when I was working in that office building, as much as I do now, I probably would have remembered that God started out as a gardener. Tending to creation and inviting us into that. I might have had a little bit more empathy than I did from the start. Blessedly, God used that encounter to make me a better person, to bring some comfort to a widow, and to make her feel like she was honoring the love of her life. But that didn't have to happen. Instead of calling her, I could have called security. I could have said, I'm being harassed here, and you need to stop her. And then whatever would have come of it. What would have been the outcome? She would have gotten more bitter. She would have come to resent the building and all those who went in it. And I would have gone on my merry way completely sure that I had all the answers. And that she was nothing more than a problem and an obstacle to my ease. Sometimes the greatest opportunities we have in life are to stop the flow of things and say, I'm going to try love. I'm going to try to love this right now. Instead of seeing the problem, can I somehow bring out the person? And we all have it. We all have places that we know we're going to go and that person that annoys us is going to be there. We all have places and and spheres in our life where we know that we're going to encounter the complainer, the nag. We know they're there. And we either prepare ourselves to just get through. We avoid it entirely or we decide that we're going to love through this. We're going to figure out a way to live in community together. Because if we can't figure out how to live in community, what is the world going to do? What are they going to do? Yeah, okay, his own people can't figure it out. Instead, we have to make this a priority, to live together, to care together, to love together, and I know it's hard. I can't, if I had a dollar for every time I've told my child, I love you, but I don't like what you're doing right now, I'd take you all out for steak right now. And he's only seven. It's true, though. We have people that we are called to love, and yet we don't like them very much. I spent about a good decade of my life not liking my sister. And we were adults, right? Right? My sister is a very different person than I am. We don't look the same. We don't talk the same. We don't act the same. We don't even have the same religion. And so when we were that divergent, and of course we didn't like the way each other acted or spoke or anything like that, so we just decided to be separate. We're just going to be separate. And it broke my parents' heart. They didn't love us into existence in order for us to live like that. And I had good cause. Let me just pitch you my case for a minute i don't know what you're talking about i have been forgiven but she would break my stuff and then hide that she broke it right so that you go to get it and you're like what she broke a door and blamed me right oh this is my favorite one and i hope if she ever comes here y'all remind her of this story So she took my dad's prized tape measure and pulled it all the way out so it wouldn't go back in, right? And then she wadded it all up and hid it in the basement. And then my dad finds it, and he's like, wrath of God, what happened to my tape measure? And I'm like, all right, hold on, time out. First of all, in all of my 20 years, I have never destroyed your tape measure. In all of them, never destroyed a tape measure. In fact, I'm usually the one that has to go get the tape measure for you because I'm the eldest assistant. I said, so, I didn't destroy the tape measure. But even if I had, I would get into my car and go put it in a dumpster, not hide it in the basement. (laughs) And since we both know that mom ain't gonna touch a tape measure, that just leaves my sister. I don't know that she did it, I don't have any proof. I just gave you the proof! (laughs) I loved her, I did not like her, right? And I, we would tell my mom, like, you're just going to have to suck it up. We just don't like each other. Because there's almost 10 years between us. We are practically different generations entirely. And so I thought, it's going to be all right. You know, I was an only child for 10 years. I can do this. But the truth is that we were created to be in community. And that community was our family. And so rather than pulling our parents apart, at one point I preached a sermon and I realized that I was one of the biggest hypocrites because I can't tell you to offer people grace and then go home and badmouth my sister to my mother. So I made a proclamation one Sunday that I was going to forgive my sister, especially since she, one of the things that still sat in my crawl was that she destroyed a hand-carved puzzle jewelry box, right? shaped like a heart, had all these little doors that came out. And she had destroyed it, and it could never be fixed, and we couldn't get another one because the artisan that created it had died. And so I had this anger about the fact that, you know, this penultimate thing that she did to me. Well, what I ended up doing was going home and telling my sister I was sorry, that I had not forgiven her, and that, you know, I had held that against her for far too long. And then my sister sent me a package that had a heart-shaped jewelry box in it. And that jewelry box still sits in my home because when you decide to love someone, they respond. And when you decide to love and be humble and forgive and seek to live in right relationship with somebody, that's really attractive. And people want to enter into that. And so I had to be the first one to go, yeah, I was wrong. Because I have denied you the grace that I so freely receive. And Jesus didn't come to condemn, so why should I condemn her? And it's hard, trust me. There are days where I so want to be like, oh, do you remember the time? We are right back there. We are right back there. But I don't do that. Because the last thing I want is for God to be like, yep. Do you remember everything since birth to like 24? 24. I don't really want that thrown back at me. And so we live out the grace we have received so that others can receive it. We're doing something powerful here by refusing to act like the world. We want to be something new. And so when Jesus is talking to those who are gathered and he's telling them the words of John three sixteen, and he tells them, just as Moses lifted up the serpent... He's teaching us something even now. Now, I don't know how many of you sit around and read Numbers endlessly like I do. So I'm going to read it to you. But he's quoting Numbers 21 when the people, the Israelites, were plagued by poisonous snakes. And the snakes were biting them and making them sick. And they prayed to God for help. And God said to Moses, make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look up at the serpent of bronze and live. And you wonder why people think Christians are nuts. (laughs) Right? Because you're all going, yeah. (laughs) It's copperhead season, and let's see how this works out. Do you know what the point was? When we're hurt, when our bodies hurt, when our mind aches, when our heart's are in pain, and our spirits are descending into the darkness, we look here. All of our being focuses inward, and God said, look up. Look up here. Look outside of yourself, and I will heal you. Look up and be healed. And so even now, as I'm telling these children to make room in their house for the goodness that they, are, that they know is coming, it's time that we show them what that looks like. The anger, the wrath, the regrets, the vengeance that we are holding inside, the hurt and the sorrow, all of these things, the pain and the suffering that we as adults carry around that sometimes we feel justified in carrying around, let's put it out. Let's get rid of it and make room for the goodness that is coming. Jesus has promised that these things are coming to us. Healing, hope, love, comfort, peace, that they are coming. But we have no room for them because we're carrying around this darkness deep inside and it eats at our hearts and it poisons our minds. And it makes our bodies even ache. Let's make room for the good that is coming. And show our children what it looks like. What does it look like to put that away and leave space for grace to come in and fill us in a way that we cannot even imagine yet? To wake up on Christmas morning and remember that no matter how old we get, and you get to that point where you don't need anybody to buy you anything because Amazon is amazing and you make an income, I still wake up on Christmas morning and know that the best gift that I have ever gotten is the fact that I am loved by my God. And that that love will bring me the forgiveness that I need even when I don't realize that I need it. And that nobody can take that gift away. It always comes right on time. And I have as much of it as I ever need. And so let's live that out this Christmas. Let's live out what that looks like to make space in here so that Christ can come and move in. We are God's people because God has chosen us. And God didn't choose us, choose us, because we are worthy. God didn't choose us because we are amazing and we look good in pink. God chose us because God loves us. And that is the only reason we are here today. Because God loves us. And God does not condemn you. And so neither will I, neither shall we condemn one another. Let this Christmas be about the love. And there's this song that I love by the Black Eyed Peas called, Where is the Love? Right? Where is the love, the love, the love? Where is the love, the love, the love? Where is it?